You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. I'm Dan Gable, Technology Manager for the LRC. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Dick Feldman explores the concept of intercultural competence. What is it, and what does it have to do with language learning? Not just the skills of being able to use that language, but it's also some underlying competence and understanding that underlies the experience of having learned a foreign language. Dick, why is it important to require students in the College of Arts and Sciences to study a language? Is it more than just proficiency in communication? It's a legitimate question. How many of those people end up really able to use, or whether they're able to or not, whether they do use those skills, Mm -hmm. those actual language skills to read even or to, um, you know, communicate with people? I mean, some people just, a lot of people just don't use it. And the administrators and the language people realize that. So they must have some kind of underlying reason the college for having a language requirement. And, um, you know, there is one. It's not just the skills of being able to use that language, but it's also some underlying uh, competence and understanding that underlies the experience of having learned a a foreign language is what we're really at, a set of attitudes and and skills that, that underlie uh, the uh, exact vocabulary and grammar and, uh, y- you know, skills, uh, fluency that you learn in a language class. It is a little bit perverse mm. to be um, uh, quizzing and assessing people on one thing and feeling that the underlying real goal of it is something else. But I'd argue that that's true in other fields, too. I mean, you get quizzed on all these details about history of this and that. Yeah. And the underlying goal there is, you know, some more general stuff about the flow of uh, events through time and and things like that, even though you get quizzed on very, very detailed stuff. So it's something that a humanities education does um, uh, with with larger goals underneath it. And what we call that is uh, intercultural competence, Uh a phrase that's just become... um, common in the last uh, 10 years, I think, and has taken over, that, that, that builds on a set of competences that began with the uh, movement in the 70s uh, called uh, communicative competence, hmm. basically saying that you needed to be able to actually communicate with people, not just translate stuff. Right. Um, and that you needed to be able to say things that were important to you. And then there are a bunch of other competences that have been discussed through the years, uh, pragmatic competence um, and so forth. But intercultural competence is uh, now being taken uh, uh, pretty seriously as a goal, and it's a pretty um, ambitious goal for a in-the-U.S. language class. People generally think that it consists of attitudes, skills, and knowledge. Those are kind of divided up. Some people think that it's mostly just the attitudes. What do you Um, mean by attitudes? Right. Well, this would be attitudes about other cultures. 
one uh, uh, fairly well-accepted um, uh, analysis of the development of these attitudes shows a, a, a set of stages that people go through. Um, and this has been, this analysis has become proprietary and charged for and supposedly validated by lots of people. And it is accepted by many, many, many researchers in the field, but it's a little bit uh, 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 one way and rigid, I think. But it's interesting to see I think it exemplifies the kinds of things we mean by attitudes. So this would be a progression from something, from a beginning uh, of somebody who has no experience with other cultures and never thought about it much, and that would be just kind of a denial of difference. Yeah, I see. Those people, they're just the same as we are. Right. And that's because somebody, that's from somebody who hasn't encountered other cultures right. and never really thought about it too much. Sure. Um. And then you can uh, pass from that to a kind of defensive uh, uh, attitude about it, that those people may be different, but I'm not having anything to do with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to, uh, they're, they're out to get me, and I'm uh, uh, maybe stronger than we are. they are, and so sure. they shouldn't have anything to do with me. It's a more fear-based uh, yeah. approach there. Maybe you recognize that from the, some political discourse yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, uh, around. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Then there's a minimization of difference. Well, yes, there are other cultures, but after all, we're all humans here on Earth, and we all need and want the same thing, so I think people are pretty much all the same. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be a stage of minimization. And, and that's, that's sort of the first half is sort of on the negative attitude side. And then on the positive attitude side goes through stages of more and more uh, acceptance and of working that difference into your own thinking and your own ways of acting uh, from acceptance and adaptation to a real kind of integration where uh, the person, him or herself, can actually um, uh, uh, exemplify and live through and interpret these different, different cultures and has a, has a feeling of belonging to different cultures. Um, and, and being able to navigate uh, uh, the same as, as people do in them. So the question is, how do you get to that? Right. You know, especially in the, how do you move from basically a negative to an accepting uh, um, attitude about that? And it's um, not so obvious uh, how that happens. And, you know, to go back to what I said at the beginning, uh, can we claim that just learning a language does that? You know, what would you think you would have to do to change your attitude from a denial to an acceptance? What sort of experiences would you think you'd have to have? Well, I would imagine at the very least some sort of interaction with the culture. And, you know, I would think, um, I mean, going back to s some topics we've talked about before, having um, conversation or having interaction with, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one, um, pairing, like a pairing uh, of practicing dialogue with, or not even practicing dialogue, but actually trying to communicate with somebody mm -hmm. like what mm -hmm. some of our teachers do with Skype, uh, that sort of thing. You know, you're on, on a call with somebody in another country, they are in their native country and you're speaking their language. I would imagine that would have a serious impact on a student. It'd be difficult to avoid issues of right. cultural encounter there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, what happens in a language class, a lot of what we do is pair work with 
other people from your same culture. Right. Now, you, you know, I might say as someone who's been, say, married for a long time, that you can find different cultures in any individual if you get to know them well enough. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, when you're paired with somebody from your own class and asked to talk about what you're going to do over the weekend, probably you're not going to get into an understanding of, of major cultural differences or have a real encounter that challenges your basic values that way. So a lot of what goes on in classes, in language classes, is expressing yourself, talking with people around you. That's not really providing you with that cultural um, encounter. Now, what you said... Uh, does have that potential uh -huh. of having direct contact with somebody. Right. You know, the uh, epitome of that, the next stage or several stages after that, is study abroad. I was going to ask about study abroad. Right. It seemed like that would be an obvious uh, way to, to connect with the culture. Go there where it's all around you. Absolutely. And it's sure. not only the people that are different, but the... Um, uh, 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 machine on the subway that you use to pay for right. your trip, you know, that's yeah. going to, that, you know, within objects, cult cultural meanings are within objects like that, yeah. especially yeah. functional objects like, like that. Uh -huh. So, so you get a lot there. Yeah. But interestingly, people that have done research with this model have found that the typical study abroad student makes very little progress hmm. on attitude change. Really? That's that's surprising. Yep. Yep, huh. because that was which as we just said, that would seem to be the gold standard of of encounter and opportunity to really make a change in difference. Is it because is, is it because the student isn't prepared to make the most out of the experience? Is there a way that they could it seems like there'd be there's got to be a way for that to work for them uh you know, with the right attitude, the right yeah, well, Thought certainly process. preparation is is part of it. Uh, this was there was a big study done with a thousand students, and they have this uh, uh, test that they give that's supposed supposed to measure these attitudes, and they they say is reliable and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, there was one factor that seemed to make a difference in the amount of uh, a change in attitude that students experienced. It wasn't homestay. It wasn't going to class with people from the country. It was active mentoring during the time you're there. Hmm. I see. And here's my interpretation of that. What you need to change your values is first a, an, as the word I keep using, an encounter or a threat to those values. Because we value things, but you know what? People can value other things. Mm-hmm. And that's what this stuff is about, mm -hmm. accepting the fact that people value things that are different from what I value. Right. So you have to have a, a kind of serious encounter with people thinking and acting in different ways based on different values. Then the question is, what do you do about that? Right. Well, the most common thing to do about that is to withdraw and say that they're stupid and those, uh, those, those, those French or wimpy or whatever kind of yeah. attitude you want to have about foreigners. Sure. Um, and that's the most common and I think explains the lack of, of uh, 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 change in uh, uh, attitude among most study abroad students. But what a mentor can do for you then is say, 
uh-huh. So you uh, looked outside your room and you saw the Spanish people, families out, going into bars, the streets crowded with people at 8 o'clock at night. And you thought, these people are lazy drunkards. So that's what you thought. Well, what time do they get up? What is their daily pattern? Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe you could ask about that. How does what what does that walking around basically mean to them? How does it work with their values? You have your in your immediate reaction, but maybe you need to understand that reaction in more depth. And that's what a mentor can do for you. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, and that also gets into some of the other um, aspects of intercultural competence that I mentioned. The attitudes get changed as a result of encounter and investigation of that encounter as opposed to withdrawal from it. Mm. But there are also uh, skills. Um, when I co-taught ethnography, we were a little bit surprised to find that most students have never interviewed anybody. Mm. Um, I know you've interviewed people, sure, and there are some skills involved in interviewing there somebody. Sure are, yeah. Maintaining the conversation, achieving your, staying with your on track with your goals, uh, but but diverting and investigating interesting things that that the person says. You know, it, it's it's a it's a complex business, so that's a skill. For example, yeah, is knowing how to interview somebody. Yeah, how are you going to keep track of the interesting things you learn? You know, so there. There are a bunch of questions about interviewing, and that's an that's an intercultural skill, is being able to address somebody from another culture for a period of time to present yourself and then to say, I'm interested in learning about these areas and carrying out an interview. Um, and there are other things, uh, uh, the ability to understand and query uh, written documents, too, to understand, to analyze a, a newspaper article. Right. And then there are things you just need to know. That's the knowledge area. Well, a lot of people think cultural skills means knowing things about the other culture. Those people have dinner at a different time. They, uh, uh, their education system is structured like this, different from ours. So that's information about the culture and, and things like the uh, 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 Franco period had a profound effect on Spanish life, mm. and it still has some effect on Spanish life. You need to know a little bit about what that was. So that's culture-specific knowledge. Right. You can see that to gain your own intercultural competence, just in terms of being able to interpret what's going on around you, you have to know something about the local culture. Um, and, you know, how long does it take to gain adequate local culture knowledge? It probably depends. Sure, <laughs> you know, yeah, I would imagine. It's hard to say. Yeah. But there also is general cultural knowledge. And this is kind of the stuff of anthropology. Hmm. Um, how are, wh what are the various ways humans have organized themselves? And how does that work? For example... What do families consist of? What are the different ways of thinking about what a family is? Uh, who does it include? Who's important in the family? What are the different family roles? 
And if you know that kind of general cultural knowledge, they, you'll be more prepared to interpret what you see around you yeah. when you try to investigate a particular culture. If you're looking at an organization in another culture, you know what are some of the issues of organizations? Mm -hmm. Leadership, resources, mission, uh, initiation, mm -hmm. finding n new, new members, symbols, within an organization. So those are yeah. those are human issues of organization and some sophistication in those areas will help you interpret what you see around you and lead you to be more uh, uh, culturally competent. Well, it sounds like knowledge is sort of informs these other aspects of intercultural competence, attitudes and skills, you know, knowing the culture, knowing the, um, the people or, or knowing these issues um, allows you to build your skills or change your attitude about uh, a particular. Well, yes, and that's where the class comes in. Yeah, and so is there a focus at Cornell on on you know international or sort of cultural knowledge? Is that do do classes really focus on that? Yeah, to bring it back to the to the language class here because. Uh, as we said at the beginning, that's supposed to be the underlying goal of the language class. So, right. how do we how do we do that? You know. Yeah. Um, I think a, a language teacher has to be doesn't have to be a native speaker. That's mm -hmm. a big issue in language teaching, especially in my uh, language teaching field of ESL. There's there's sort of non-native speaker teachers' rights movements, mm. thinking that you don't have to be a native speaker yeah. to teach a, a language. See. But um, and, and there's some advantages in not being a native speaker. You can interpret the process better, for maybe yeah. for people. But in a way, you have to. You're the representing that culture in the classroom, and you have to be able to react as somebody from that culture would. I remember um, I asked a teacher once, um, uh, a French teacher once. I said, um, "How do you say pride comes before a fall?" in French. And she looked at me and said, Dick, I don't think that's a very French idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. Interesting. You know, so yeah. a, an American teacher might've uh, somebody not thinking about from a cultural point of view might've just gone about and translated that. You can yeah. certainly translate it. Yeah. But that authentic native reaction to, Oh, really? Yeah not a very French idea. Well, what are French ideas different from, you know, I'm yeah, off on the, yeah, yeah. on my path there sure. as, as, as a cultural learner. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, having, I think what you mentioned at the beginning, direct contact with the culture, mm -hmm. you've got to experience it yourself. And I think our, our language classes, uh, do do a lot of that. Yeah. Um, there's for quite a long time been the authentic materials movement mm -hmm. in language classes. Mm -hmm. Don't show me so many dialogues written by teachers with a grammatical idea in mind, but let me in encounter real yeah. conversation in the language. Right. So, you know, f film and um, sure. other authentic sources are really important, and those are heavily used at... Uh, 
in uh, uh, Cornell language classes. Mm -hmm. That's, of course, where the role of our uh, one of the roles of our language center comes in, and right. in helping teachers uh, uh, technically process and present that um, th those authentic materials because sure. they need to be uh, brought about in different ways. Mm -hmm. And um, that another thing the language center does is host and support some of those what we call uh, uh, teletandem exchanges right. that you mentioned at the beginning, uh, where students have actual um, uh, discussion with an untrained peer from the, from the target culture. But there's some training that can go into that uh, uh, too. Um, uh, one of our Spanish teacher, teachers, uh, Silvia Amigo Silvestre, yeah. uh, took our ethnography course mm. And she's worked really on training her students to notice moments of cultural difference oh. and contradiction, maybe, uh -huh. and to query them and to try to understand them better. Great. So she's tried to teach them to, as 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 a mentor, to to do some of this cultural querying. Nice, interesting. Well, boy, all this certainly goes against uh, the idea of uh, what we talked once before about being uh, what the self-learner, the sort of challenges of learning a language on your own, or I imagine something like Rosetta Stone or just using the web to, uh, you know, find various programs online to help you learn. I mean, it's sort of um, really this kind of leans away from that a bit. I, I yes, imagine. that's a really good point. How are you going to develop cultural challenges on your own without any without any guidance it's it's difficult and takes you know i think it takes experience and tra and previous training to be able to do that to notice things and to query them it's it's pretty hard to do on your own without a a mentor or a guide or as you're saying a a teacher you know rosetta stone if you've ever looked at it it's sort of the opposite of this because they use pictures to exemplify sentences that are saying, but for different cultures within large, large cultural areas, they use the same picture. Yeah. Oh, I see. Interesting. So that's sort of the opposite of the authentic yeah, uh, materials I'll movement. Say. Huh. So uh, that's a that that's a real uh, flaw in it there. It makes sense to me the the, the importance of this uh, you know intercultural sensitivity and cultural um, uh, you know intercultural competence, but I could certainly imagine, despite every best intention, that a student may find themselves in a themselves in a course where um, they may not be exposed to this sort of approach. They may sort of crave a little bit more of the um, the cultural aspect of a, a language. Um, is there a way for a student to do that on their own? What can what can somebody do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the end, we have to. We're responsible for our own education, you know. So, having a learner who who knows where he or she is going and and how to get there is, is certainly a, an important thing. So, um, you know, if you if you do have a native speaker or somebody or somebody who responds as a um, uh, uh, somebody from the target culture, you can um, uh, query that person some. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, ask your teacher questions. What what do people in this, or, or when you see something, wh why is that happening? Why do people do that? It may be, in some cases, the teacher may 
especially native speakers, may be not that aware of their own patterns, of their own culture, and being being questioned by a student. Why do people do that? Right. Um, isn't that, a, that seems to me, from an American point of view, a strange way to behave? And that might get the uh, teacher um, uh, uh, thinking and responding as a cultural informant, which, as we, as we saw, is part of the um, uh, uh, process of gaining uh, uh, intercultural competence. Of course, another thing to do is to go there yourself. Sure. And let, get yourself into a little bit of cultural trouble. That's, uh, yeah, so what do you mean by that? Because, uh, you know, that sounds pr- kind of scary, frankly. Uh-huh. What, what do you mean by cultural trouble? Well, I really mean about uh, a clash of values. I see. So going to uh, uh, a place where you can't understand what people are doing. Uh, you know, going out into these, uh, uh, maybe into the Spanish bars where these families are, and instead of um, hanging out with people your own age, go to one of these uh, uh, families with the respectable-looking uh, parents and their young adult-aged children, maybe, and ask them, you know, uh, 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 how, how does this work? Do you come here uh, every, every, every night? What, what, why do you go out and leave your home when it's cold outside yeah, and so come actually, out to this bar? Actually engaging people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pre, cre, creating, and maybe they'll tell you that you're um, uh, 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 kind of stupid and uh, um, uh, irrelevant to be asking that question, but that'll give you more more examples to recount to other people and to um, uh, uh, query as you go along. So, getting into tr- by getting into trouble, I mean keeping your own values kind of front and center so you're aware of them mm. but then putting yourselves in positions where they're challenged yeah i see i could actually speak to that on a personal note when uh, i just was recently in um in south korea and i found um uh, the most sort of frightening but also really exhilarating and and the the the, the most i was able to uh, grow in my language study of Korean was going to a restaurant where it was just clearly not geared toward American tourists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no menu with, uh, you know, if you wanted to ask for something, either you knew how to say it in Korean or you pointed to something on the menu. And, and even that, even without, even being afraid to just speak Korean um, outright, I found I gained a lot um, just from the interaction from, you know, where... We want, uh, where's our utensils? Well, there's a little drawer on the side of the table that any Korean um, going uh-huh. to that place would have certainly known to, to go just take it themselves. And so, you know, we learned a little bit about the culture for sure. For sure, We definitely felt a bit of discomfort in the process, but, um, but I think that discomfort was actually a valuable tool for us. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, maybe you uh, eat some things that you wouldn't have eaten that's for sure. Uh, what does this really mean, uh, burying fermented cabbage in the backyard? Right, right. You know, is that a gross thing to do or what? Or is it, you know, is that is that consistent somehow with other things in the culture and history of that, uh, of yeah. that, of that country? So, sure, sure. 
yeah, encountering those sorts of things and realizing that you have a feeling of of uh, strangeness or even fear or even disgust with it, and then moving towards that instead of away from it. Mm-hmm. That's the intercultural move. Right. And anybody can do that. You can find places, you know, with our modern access to uh, evidence from other cultures. So right. Th- that's really the move uh, an individual needs to make. Yeah, I see. And, uh, you know, as I say, some of the online things uh, uh, don't uh, provide you with evidence or situations to to do that. They may be some of some benefit for a little bit of training uh, to be able to say a few things, but they don't provide you with uh, preparation for intercultural competence. Yeah, I could see that. And it's actually a bit deceiving because there are materials that seem to be authentic or that deal with things like ordering food or whatever you, whatever might be uh, mm-hmm. something you might do within the, within the country uh, embedded in the culture or whatever. But, um, but you also find that uh, it's not, not quite there. It's yeah, the, it's you need a to be able to superficial. Right, that move of yourself investigating and going a place that they didn't want to present to you because yeah. it'd be too complicated yeah. to explain or yeah. too nasty or something. Right, uh, and going towards it yourself. Yeah, I see. Uh, and not and not not be protected. Right, and uh, then of course trying to get your teacher to do to do that too uh, is uh, uh, part of the way forward. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Sam Lupwitz and Dan Gable. Recorded by Sam Lupwitz. Original music by Sam Lupwitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson.